This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith courts one into right down the line. It may go. You're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brent McMillan. This is the Cardinals Insider Podcast, the official podcast of the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm your host, Brent McMillan. Today we treat you to a conversation with Tom Schieber, senior curator at the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Tom happens to be a St. Louis native, too. The two talk about Tom's role in Cooperstown, the Cardinals Museum's 2011 World Series exhibit, which the Hall of Fame loaned some items for, including the second half of David Freeze's Game 6 jersey. Plus, they also go over Tom's memories of coming to Cardinals games as a kid. Speaking of coming on down to the ballpark on Friday, July 16th, you can add to your bobblehead and gnome collection with a special one-of-a-kind item that day. 30,000 fans ages 16 and older are going home with an exclusive Willie McGee bobblehead gnome thanks to AAA Insurance. Get your tickets at cardinals.com slash promotions. Alrighty, here's Baseball Hall of Fame Senior Curator Tom Schieber with Cardinals historian Brian Finch. It's right here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. I thought it'd be a great way to kick this off, Tom, is uh, tell us a little bit about some of your first memories of baseball. How did you become a fan and uh, some of your upbringing here in St. Louis? Well, thank you for having me, and I don't know how I became a fan. I got to say that none of, I'm the youngest of um, four boys, and none of my brothers really cared about baseball. They weren't anti-baseball, but they didn't really care about it. And my parents were, uh, my my dad liked baseball, but he was not, if if I wasn't asking to go to the ball game, he wasn't going to go to the ball game, and he could take it or leave it on TV. Um, So... uh, I have no idea why I'm a baseball fan. Um, I, I, I'm a Cardinal fan because I grew up in St. Louis, but um, it's uh, it's a great mystery. I, it's sort of strange. I feel a little embarrassed about that because usually you can say, oh, well, you know, I, my mom handed it down to me or something like that. And uh, I don't have a family uh, that uh, – I have a family, but I didn't have a family that, that handed it down. Mm-hmm. So do you remember any early experiences coming to Bush Stadium? Did your parents bring you to the ballpark? Yeah, they they would bring me to the ballpark and you know open the door and say, well, we'll we'll see you in three hours or, or whatever. It was yeah, three hours would probably be about right back then. Um, so or th- we used to have um, straight A student night. I don't know if they still do something like that. Okay, so there were straight A student nights, and thankfully my brothers were straight A students and didn't really like baseball, so I got to go on their tickets. Um, Wait, so are you saying that you were not? A I wasn't a getting the straight A uh, uh, tickets. <laughs> okay, but uh, my brothers were thankfully. Um, and uh, th- so I would do that. I, I remember, I don't remember like my first game or anything like that, but I remember certain things about Old Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I specifically remember going a lot with friends in school 
And once again, it, it was usually I was dropped off or whatever. And um, that was back in the day when, when the guys who were walking around selling beer at the ballpark were, were opening the bottles with bot that had metal bottle caps. And they'd, they'd, they'd have, they were really talented. They could have like three, four bottles in one hand, and they could just go bang, bang, bang. And the bottle caps would just fall onto the ground. That was a massive part of the cleanup was the bottle caps. <laughs> Except we would go around and collect bottle caps mm -hmm. and then go out on the, the terrace looking out, not, not toward the park, and just flip bottle caps like from, you know, four stories high. <laughs> so I did a lot of bottle cap flipping, which I know is a, a, a talent that I don't think a lot of people have now. It's just very Probably sad. Probably not. But um, I remember that. <laughs> Isn't that sad? Uh, <laughs> but I also have a lot of memories about, about specific games and things. But... I don't have a real first on that. Interesting. And I don't. Have, and you know, growing up at uh, at, at Bush, um, I don't get to say, oh, you know, I remember the first time I came through, and I could see the green of the grass because I was seeing like the sort of stale green of the astroturf. So this, I don't have a real romanticism about that either. So I've got to ask then, who were some of your favorite players? Yeah. So growing growing up, um, uh, there's two. Okay. Re really, Lou Brock. So so I'm old, and so my I I came of baseball consciousness in the in the early 70s mm -hmm. early 1970s and so that's my time frame so okay um so Lou Brock would be is a, a very obvious one I mean he would be your guy he's, I mean he's uh, that's easy uh, I'm just a little bit too young or too slow to have really seen Bob Gibson mm -hmm. be you know I think 75 might have been his last year is that yes. right something like that so you know I was paying attention to baseball starting the like 73 or so but it was sort of the tail end for Bob and the other guy was Ted Simmons. Okay. Huge Ted Simmons fan. Uh, he was cool because he had the long hair. That's right. And sort of a little bit of a renegade attitude. He was really good, obviously. And he was a catcher. And I was a catcher in Little League. And catching was cool because you got to wear all the stuff. That's, that was great. So you're a catcher, Brian, so you, you know how cool that is. That's true. <laughs> Tom and I had an experience a few years ago at a fantasy camp in Cooperstown. And I um, fought my way through catching. And you did great. And you did great. Well, our team won, and not that you care to know about me so much, but our our man. So we were not on the same team, but the manager that I had was John Tudor, who is one of our newest Cardinals Hall of Famers this year, and he's not known for being a very affectionate person. I was also not known that weekend for being a very good catcher, and so Tudor would razz me <laughs> from the dugout as his own catcher for like <laughs> dropping balls or letting balls skip past me. And it's, uh, it's hard. Catching is hard. It is hard. Catching is hard. And I thought you did a great job. So well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the compliment, but Tudor literally my own managers are like, Hey Finch, catch the ball. He would throw in a few extra words. That's why they give you a glove. You know, and I'm like, I thought this was my own manager. Like <laughs> anyway, part of the fun of fantasy camp. Thank you for the compliment, yeah. Tom. Um, let's get back to you. So, uh, and you mentioned Simmons. So Simmons was inducted in. Let's make the tie now to the National Baseball of Fame with your role. Simmons was inducted last year. Well, he's not inducted yet. He was elected. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. He elected. was elected, and he's a Hall of Famer, but his induction will be this summer. Okay. Yeah, and it's just been kicked down the road for a year, and we all know why. So how has that been for you working with a player that you – looked up to yeah. you know as, as a child and now getting to work with in some capacity professionally to really honor that legacy 
Well, his, so, his legacy, right? Right, exactly. So one thing we do at the museum is, and you guys do this too for your Cardinal Hall of Famers, is we have a special case or area of a case. In this case, we, we do a case for each incoming Hall of Famer. Um, these guys have had the, had the opportunity that no one else has had, which is they had a case for two years now. <laughs> Normally it's just one year and then somebody else goes in there. Um, and uh, so a curatorial team, um, you know, when we figure out who all the inductees are, we will say, anybody have a preference? You know, oh, I want to take this guy's case. I'll do this guy's case. So I, I, I'm the head of the department, so I could push my weight around, but it, well, it didn't take much. Everybody knew I was going to take the Ted Simmons case. So uh, that was fun. I got to, t to work with Ted and um, Marianne's wife, who's wonderful. And it's fun because you get to say, you get to kind of actually teach them to be little mini curators. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, Ted was really good at catching and really good at hitting curveballs and stuff, but he's not a curator. So I had to, and I, I can't catch or hit curveballs or fastballs for that matter. So I, um, but I can, I'm decent at the curatorial part. So I'm trying to teach him the kind of things and the way to think about, because I don't know what he has. I don't know what kind of items that he might have, that have kept. Um, sometimes it's easier for guys who don't keep things. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate because then it makes my job a little bit harder, but it's just very straightforward this inductee's not going to help me anything. They, don't, they, don't, they didn't keep objects from their collection, from their, from their career. Ted kept a number of things, but I had to kind of, sometimes guys are surprised at like, you, you really want to display this? Why do you want to display this and not something else? So, for example, one thing ball players tend to think a lot about is signed objects. I'll sign this photo for you and you can stick it in a case. And our preference is to not have anything signed. It's not about the guy's signature. I'd rather, quite frankly, if he's got a jersey, I'd rather he not sign it. I'm not going to resell it. It's a loan, probably, actually, so I can't sell it. And it's really not about your signature. It's about what did you do while you're wearing that jersey, you know? Um, and you, did you know, here's something I just learned. I just learned this, which is, tells you how slow I am. You know, only once in all of baseball history, uh, in the a long history of no hitters, there have been a lot of no hitters, and half of them are this year, practically, but only once has the pitcher and catcher both been later in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. I find this astounding. Bob Gibson and Ted Simmons. I was about to say, it, it would have to it, be. You'd think, I mean, first of all, the guys, especially the pitchers, are going to be top pitchers, so they're always sort of self-selecting as being guys more likely to be in the Hall mm -hmm. of Fame. It has never happened until Ted Simmons got in and, and closed the loop there. Interesting. Anyway, so I'm more interested in showing... Well, and, and then you have to think about all the Hall of Fame catchers that never caught... Right, exactly. ...a no-hitter. Exactly, exactly. It's kind of a wacky thing. But anyway, I'm sorry I got sidetracked, but that's my job. But uh, so the artifacts we want are sometimes not what they expect. Mm -hmm. So we have to sort of teach them, hey, you know what, tell me the story behind this and, and, and think way big. Think, ah, this has got to be stupid, but tell me anyway, and then I'll, I'll work with you to determine if it's going to help fill a case of, you know, maybe... It's really kind of tough. It's like maybe eight to ten objects um, that help really tell the entire story of Ted Simmons. Not just the Cardinal Ted Simmons, right? I got to talk about it with the Braves, with the Brewers. I, I love to talk about when he was, you know, pre-major league, pre-professional. Ted Simmons had a, a, an important career a afterwards as a GM. I mean, I would love to tell all of these things, which means that I can't just do n everything I can't put in four baseball bats that are all kind of doing a similar thing for me, right? Mm -hmm. It's a form of storytelling, and you just and I got a big story to try and tell, so that's one of the challenges. So I am curious about Simmons in particular. A little-known fact about him while he played here with the Cardinals, 
is that he was on the board of the St. Louis Art Museum, I believe. So he's got a, a, a museum background like most players don't have. Did he pull any weight with you, like thinking he knew what he was doing because of his, you know, experience with the museum world, so to speak? Um, no, he's a pretty humble guy. Okay. And, 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 and I think a little bit, uh, he's, he's humble and, he's, and he's, he's pretty awestruck about it, which is pretty cool. I like that. Uh, it's nothing really expected or anything like that. So he's very cool about it. But, you know, yes, he had that art museum connection, but Marianne is a very art-oriented individual. Okay. And, and so for everybody here, Marianne is? Is, is Ted's, Ted's wife. Okay. So um, she probably was even more. She wasn't push, pushing her weight around. She totally understood what we were trying to do. But her art and is, uh, is impressive. They have a very, very nice art and poster collection. Mm-hmm. Very good. So... We know your role now, but I think it's a great question, learning a little bit more about um, Tom Schieber. How did you get this role at the National Baseball Hall of Fame? We, we'd learn a little bit about um, you know, how you grew up here in St. Louis, you're a Cardinals fan. How did you turn that fandom into becoming the senior curator at the National Baseball Hall of Fame? Um, so it's a long story, and I'll try to make it short because it isn't Really, that exciting, <laughs> but uh, so I yes, I'm a baseball fan, still a baseball fan. But um, I, since probably I was 12 or 13, pretty young, I've been uh, interested in researching baseball and baseball history. Which, by the way, I hated history, history, history in high school and college. I never took a course in college with that. I had no interest in it at all. Now I would love to do it. It's like you know, but. Uh, um, had absolutely no interest, but I did like baseball history, and I don't ask, don't know why, have no clue. So, um, but I like the research, and that so there was that too. So, a fan is one thing. Sometimes the fan the fandom can kind of get in the way of the museum part. You know, you need to be able to do your job, and your job is not to be a fan; it's to be a curator or a collections manager or whatever the case may be. It helps to be a fan because it's otherwise not as fun of a job. So, uh, I had done a lot of baseball history and baseball research. I. Um, I used to intern for the Sporting News, which is here in St. Louis, so that was kind of lucky that that was here, and I and I lucked out getting an internship every summer. So I had a little bit of um, that experience under the belt. Uh, that was when Dick Cagle was the um, managing editor, and Dick Cagle is actually uh, an award winner who is going to be honored um, at the Hall of Fame, and Dick gave me my first job in baseball, so I'm a big fan. Um, but uh, I actually... Uh, Ended up going into um, the baseball hall of fame as a s- staff member in a way that I didn't, I never thought it would be, because I thought it would be from maybe. Well, I thought as a kid, I thought it because I was a great ball player, but that was that didn't work out very quickly. But then I thought it was going to be from a baseball history angle. Maybe I'd work in the in the library or something like that. But actually, I turned out uh, they had a job opening for their webmaster. This is early on in the days of the web, and I had had some experience doing that. So always hoping that something else would happen, but my foot in the door was the, is the web part. And then eventually, so once I got a job there as the webmaster, um, I started doing some curatorial work on the side, and, and I kind of proved my chops doing that, and eventually I was asked to become one of the curators. And then uh, in 2006, so that's fif- 15 years ago, I uh, was given, uh, I bumped up to senior curator, which means I had, I am in charge of the curatorial department. So it's, um, um, you know, it's, uh, I had some background, and I had some good luck, and I was able to take advantage of good luck. That's the key. Take advantage of the good luck. Don't let it slip through your fingers. 
That sounds like something a baseball manager might say too. That is a good, yeah. I think that's a good thing to say about it. I think that's true about about life. Luck's going to happen all the time. It's just when you but you got to be able to take advantage of that luck. Very good. Yeah. Very good. So I'm sure your position has allowed you to um, travel around, see a lot of baseball stadiums, see a number of baseball games. Do you feel like there have been any uh, historic games you've witnessed, any favorite games you've experienced? What are some of the greatest games you've seen now? And uh, maybe how has that influenced your role at the Hall of Fame? Or how have you taken those experiences to help tell these stories to fans that have visited your institution? Uh well, actually, so first of all, I've actually not seen as many games as, as I would like to have. Uh, out of college for a dozen years, I worked in a very different field. I had nothing to do with baseball, but I was working in Southern California, and I went to a lot of games, to a lot of Dodger games. Anaheim was a lot further south, so that was tougher to go to those games. But I'd go to, you know, and I went to a lot of Cardinal Dodgers games. So I went to a lot of games, a lot more games of baseball when I was working, I was working in astronomy actually. When I was working in astronomy, I went to way more games than once I started working for the Baseball Hall of Fame because you're living in Cooperstown, which is four hours from every major city, but not less than four hours from every major city. So, I mean, if I go to Philadelphia or if I go to Pitt Pittsburgh, it would be like more like six hours, something like that. Um, but I encourage you to come up there. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, good. Keep, keep coming back. But, uh, <laughs> great, excellent. But, um, uh, so I don't get a chance to go to very many. And actually, the ones I've gone to the most are all-star games because we have a presence at um, what they call Play Ballpark, but it used to be called Fan Fest. So if you guys went to, when was the all-star game here in St. Louis? 20 Two, 2009. 2009. So we were here. We had an, an exhibit in the big Fan Fest thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've been to, to a lot of all-star games, which um, it's kind of neat. It let me see a lot of ballparks, mm -hmm. but they're not real games, right? I mean, they're kind of a weird, weird thing. So, so I'm seeing less baseball now than I did working in astronomy. So kids, stay in astronomy if you like baseball. Uh, but, but actually, one of the games I went to, so I've, I've been to some World Series games, which is great, and, but those are kind of the ones that are like, well, if you go to a World Series game, the odds are higher that it's going to be something that you remember and that's kind of a big deal. I like the ones where it's an unexpected thing. right? So I went to, uh, my first no-hitter was, was Fernando, who pitched no-hitter against the Cardinals. I was going to the, for the Cardinal game. But so that was a, f um, and I thought, wow, that's really special to see a, a no hitter, right? And that's when it, when it really was sort of special. Mm -hmm. Except that was the same day that, I think somebody with the A's pitched a no hitter on the exact same day. It's like, oh man, the odds of going to a no hitter today were pretty, pretty high actually. So I felt a little bit less special. Uh, I think one of the coolest games I ever saw was a Dodger Cardinal game at Dodger Stadium, and it was, it is the uh, today and probably maybe forever is the last game ever forfeited. So the la so there's some for famous forfeit games in the 70s. There was uh, um, 10 Cent Beer Night in Cleveland in the early 70s. You can figure out how that went awry. There's no surprises there. That was forfeited to the Rangers. That were there. And then there was uh, Disco Demolition Night in 1979 that I encourage you to read about. Um, that was pretty crazy doubleheader. They never did get the second game played, so that was a forfeit. And then August, uh, August 10, 1995, was ball night at Dodger Stadium. You know much about this game? I don't. I'm uh, interested to hear more, though. It's, it was great. I'm really glad I went. Um, Cardinals are up 2-1, to one and uh, I think Jim Quick was the home plate umpire. And the whole game, uh, the Dodger, Dodgers, the players, were on Jim Quick for a terrible strike zone, a very, very bad strike zone. And... Um, 
Eric Kiros got thrown out in like the seventh or eighth inning. He had a check swing. So it wasn't even necessarily a strike zone issue. It was a check swing that he called a strike. In. And listen, I'm a Cardinal fan, and that, there's no way he went around on that. That was just a bad call. And, but he, the, the tempers are super short. And uh, so he got tossed out. And then Raul Mondesi, in the ninth inning, they're down, the Dodgers are only down 2-1. to one. They're in this thing, totally in this thing. This was a no, for, uh, uh, Noma Mania game. This was uh, Hideo Noma was pitching Nomo. in his rookie year. And that was a, I got to tell you, going to Dodger games at Noma Mania was, ex- it was incredible. Mm-hmm. I heard more Japanese spoken than English spoken in, uh, you know, in line for a rice bowl or something like that. That's the first time that would happen. It was very cool. And um, so he pitched really well. It was 2-1. to one. And uh, it's a 3-0 pitch it, um, to, um, uh, who was I talking about? It was a... Uh, uh, Raul Montesi. Mm-hmm. So Raul Montesi takes a three takes a 3-0 pitch and the ball is borderline. Low borderline low. Mm-hmm. But it's it's close. Strike one. Oh and, and Montesi puts the bat down and walks about eight or ten feet to, to first. And Jim Quick ca- calls a sort of a late strike, but called a strike. So Montesi is like, okay. It was you know, you can make the argument that was a strike. He picks up the bat, goes back, but he was he was given a look. I mean, it was showing up the umpire. And when you walked at first like that, it's tough. And I turned to the guy who was next to me, and just how everything was on edge. Oh, by the way, during his ball night at the ballpark, and a number of balls had been thrown on the field. Okay, this is a dangerous situation in like the sixth or seventh inning, but it never really got out of hand, but it wasn't good. But it, the, it was tense there. So Montesi is 3-1 count, and I turned to the guy next to me and I said, he better swing at this next one. It doesn't matter where it is because the umpire is not happy. He's been going through this all night. It's not just Mondesi, but he's been going through it all night long. So the, pa- the ball comes in. We had great seats, which I can explain why we had great seats in a, in a moment because uh, I had no business having great seats. And it was outside by like six inches, maybe eight inches. It was definitely outside. And you can get this on YouTube, and it's not even close. And he kind of sort of started. He didn't go as much to first, but quick gives him a strike. And I'm like, that's it. Absolutely seriously, he has to swing on the next pitch. The ball could be uh, a nuclear loose hitting the, 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 the bull, yeah. and he would call it a strike. You have got to swing. So 3-2 count, and Mon- there's nobody on base. This is the beginning of the inning. Mondesi swings at a ball that is about just as far outside. He, he was right. He had to swing. And he struck out. I mean, there's no way you could have touched the ball. And then he struck out, and he turned back, and he started yelling the ump because he's upset that he had to swing at a ball. That's right. And he's thrown out, and Lasorda comes out, and he's thrown out, and baseball starts coming on the field, and it's just crazy. Um, and eventually they, they called the game, and I will tell you this. There's a controversy about this, and I'm telling you I was there, as was about 46,000 other people, so it's not really that rare. But um, I understood the... Um, it was a situation that I think that's the right thing to have done, but they did it the wrong way because they needed to make an announcement, a PA announcement, that says, please do not, fall, do not throw um, balls in the field. If you continue to do so, the game could be forfeited to the Cardinals. I believe that actually you're, you're sort of, it's not in your rule book, but you're supposed to do that. Some sort of obligation. They did say, please do not do this, but they didn't give the consequences. And, um, and I'll... I'll and he, they 
called the players off for like a third time or something like that. And um, if you have a baseball from that game, it was like a souvenir. Mm-hmm. They had a bunch of rookies of the year in a, in a row with that team. And so they, they had fake signatures on it, right? right? This is probably a valuable ball because most of them were on the field. Nobody walked out of the park with these things. Mm-hmm. Most of them were on the field. And it was forfeited to the Cardinals. And, and w- I didn't even know it was forfeited. We're sitting there wait, waiting for them to come out. And eventually they came on the, on the PA system and said, good evening, you know, head home. And I'm like, they can't do that without giving a, a warning, even though I think it was the right thing to do. But if anyone says, no, they did give a warning, and there's some people who say that, that's not, that's not true. Interesting. So that was well, a, fun, a fun moment. In it, not expected. In a similar way, Tommy Herr seat cushion night here in St. Louis, it's a walk-off grand slam. The seat cushions that come on the field, and we, we've had a few come through the museum, but those are that's harder rare, to find yeah. because everybody threw their seat cushions out. Right. Sponsored by Kmart. That, there you go. Well, now we, ball nights – if you do a ball night, you do it on the way out, right? You get right. your, your you cap get your nights on the way, way in for ball night, which is like in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that really took until 1995 to figure that out, but that's that's what they do. Yeah. So that and was fun. And, and frankly, not to give too much in behind the scenes, but um, most of the giveaways now like that, that's one of the, not particularly that night, but the litmus test on it is, would this be something that is going to be thrown on the field? <laughs> right. You know? right. And I remember we've had one other seat cushion night since um, – the Tommy Herr game, which uh, was at 87. Is that right? No. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. And we won that game in a walk-off. That was this ballpark. And the uh, it was Marty Hinden who was – he was a longtime vice president. He was here in 1987. He was behind that game. He was still here when we did it in this ballpark. And he said, never again. Never again. Because so, everybody was, like, ready to throw their seat cushion. They did it the second time around. And were like, we're never doing seat cushions here in St. Louis again. So, I, so I'm confused about something. What is Tommy Her? Seat, I love Tommy Her, by the way. Tommy Her seat cushion night. Is his face on the seat cushion? Is his signature? No, no, he hit a walk-off grand slam. Oh, so, so it was, he, it that, was seat cushion like night. That's like his legendary moment, right? It was seat so cushion night. It was seat cushion became, night. He hits a, a walk-off grand slam. As a ball player, I don't think yeah. you want to be honored with a seat cushion. That's not yeah, your, yeah. like... So people call it Tommy Hurst seat okay. cushion night just because he hit the walk off grand slam. I so. so we've got a seat cushion from that evening that is on display in the exit gallery case. So as you get all the way to uh-huh. the right before you're hitting the exit door, you can see one on display. It was donated to us after we had um, by a member when we said, uh, I think when we had Tom here uh, doing one of these interviews, yeah. we said, yeah, we don't actually have one of those. And so we said, I've got one. I'll, uh, I'll donate it to you. So you never know how these I things. I love it when uh, that happens. Yeah, that's right. The, so I'll tell you real quickly, the other, and this one I don't, I don't think needs too much explanation to Cardinal fans. The other game I was at, too, that was very, I was at that was very lucky, and once again, not a World Series kind of thing. So you, who, you didn't know something great was going to happen. But uh, was um, – Let's see. Now, I think Brian will get it if I give the date, but see if anyone in the audience knows this. I'm just going to give you the date. I think maybe I've told you this. Okay. Oh, look at this. So, August 22, 1982. I think so. So, I went to this game because uh, it was going to be my last, last time to go to a Cardinal game before I went away to college. And I went with my mom, who, who didn't really care about baseball, but she cared about me, so she stuck it out for all 12 <laughs> innings. So all the moms out there and future moms out there, uh, she stuck it up for all 12 innings and in the bottom of the 12th. Mm-hmm. We were playing the Giants. We're playing the Giants, and the bases are loaded, and third string catcher Glenn Brummer's on third base, and it's, a, I think, an 0-2 count with two outs to David Green, who's a right-handed batter, and Glenn Brummer stole home. And 
it is no exaggeration because you can talk to anyone who was there. I'm not talking people in the stands, whatever. I'm talking about any player, any coach, whatever. No one knew that he was going to go. And I talked to Ozzy about this. Ozzy was on first base. Mm-hmm. And I said, what was your reaction? And he said, no. <laughs> that was, his, that was yeah. his reaction was, no, what are you doing? I mean, it's so wrong in so many ways, especially it's Glenn Brummer who can outrun nothing. <laughs> and, but you know what? He, the one thing he had going for him was a surprise factor. No one, including the pitcher, knew it was going to Gary Lavelle, knew it was going to happen. And so I was there for that game, that was a, which turned out to be great. And, and we love Glenn. And to, uh, to his credit now, he's had more speaking engagements and autograph appearances for a third-string catcher than anybody else in baseball history. They went on to win the world championship. And right. that ended up being a bit of a turning point for that team. Yeah. Um, they, were, they were okay. They were barely above average. And they didn't necessarily take off. But when you look at what they did after uh, yeah, they were early pretty, August, they were doing they, pretty good. They, that kind of – started to light the fire under them that, hey, this is exciting. We can start to do some things here. Well, I'll tell you something. I, uh, you know, at that point, the last time the Cardinals had, had been to the World Series was 68. Mm-hmm. So I was not – I was alive, but I wasn't conscious of what was going on. So I've been waiting – I've been waiting my whole life to go – for the Cardinals to go to the, the World Series. And 82 was looking pretty good. 81 it was looking kind of good, and that kind of got screwed up for, for various reasons. But, but um, I turned to my mom, and I said – that's the kind of stuff, and I'm, I, I think I said stuff. It would have been my, a, a friend. I would have said a, a different word, but it was my mom. So I said, that's the kind of stuff that championship t- teams do, mm-hmm. is they win, the stu- they win in stupid ways. They win the r- good ways, but also there's just, you know, you got to get lucky too, and you have to have more positive lucky than negative lucky, and that's, what ha- and I'm like, that's the kind of stuff that happens. And to Glenn Brummer's credit, I mean, he's, this is one of the greatest moments in, in Cardinal history, for a guy who, let's face it, no one would have, you'd know, would know who Glenn Brummer is. Although Whitey always said he was the greatest third-string catcher that he's ever seen, but it's like, that's the definition of a backhanded compliment. That's, that's easy to say that after he was ruled safe at home for winning a game in extra innings. But, hey, let's talk about another team that won some crazy games in, we might say, stupid ways, but uh, that's what it takes sometimes. Let's talk about this 2011 championship team. You've helped us with a great exhibit and we've got some artifacts on display that uh, are flanked by you here. In 2011, Albert Pujols, incredible player, still playing uh, for a different L.A. team now than the one he started the season with. But in 2011, Albert Pujols hit his 30th home run for the 11th season in a row to start his career, so the first 11 seasons. And these are the batting gloves that he wore to hit that home run that he wore, you know, he was wearing when he hit the home run. And these are the property of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. So these are something that you would take care of on a regular basis. And your institution has loaned them to us as part of this exhibit. And then on your right shoulder there, we've got Alan Craig's bat from Game 7 of the 2011 World Series. That game was uh, tied 2-2. Two to two. And that's the uh, bat that he used to hit the what would ultimately be the game-winning home run if you look at that run to, to move ahead. So um, two great artifacts. We've got a number of other great artifacts on display, including uh, it's kind of a neat connection. While our two institutions, the two museums, are really great partners in a lot of ways, not just being um, two baseball museums, but there's one artifact that really ties us together. And I don't know how many halves of jerseys that you have. We only have one half of a jersey in our collection. We only have one half. Amazing. Okay. We should get these together. I feel like I'm in a Reese's peanut butter commercial or something like this. We should get these together. (laughs) 
that's a that's a great point. So it's taken ten years, but uh, for the first time in ten years since it was ripped off of his back, um, we've got David Freeze's jersey put back together. And so we've had kind of a neat relationship here. We've we have an agreement that so. National Baseball Hall of Fame has loaned us their half of the jersey that David Freeze gave to them um, after the game, uh, game six in 2011. And then we're going, as I understand it, we're going to loan our half to, to you all sometime after this year, later in the year, whatever the case might be, um, so that it can be together, you know, on display at, up in Cooperstown. Yeah. No, I think but, it's wonderful. And I, and I remember thinking about this soon after we got it. And, if, and I didn't know what happened to the other half. And then I found out from you guys that you had the other half. And I just thought, you know, for an anniversary, I think I may, I was, I was just telling somebody uh, that I was either talking to Amy Barra or, or, or maybe Paula, or maybe it was Bill DeWitt, actually. I can't remember who I was talking to, but uh, we were shooting the breeze, and I said, you know what we got to do? We got to bring these back together again. Because the last time, the last time they were together, literally, was probably 30 seconds after David Fries touched home plate. Because that, David Freeze, that long, literally, yeah, he, he hit the plate, he hit the plate, and, and then then they're they're going crazy because it's a great moment, and then um, and we're uh, uh, Kyle McClellan, mm-hmm. who was injured but had nothing better to do than to be the that night's shredder, went out and ripped that jersey because that was a thing that the Cardinals were doing for the last couple of months. There was ripping jerseys in half, whatever works. I mean, that's great, and um, <laughs> it worked out well for this institution because because we got to share. The same artifact. That's rare. You know, it doesn't happen that often. So, um, uh, I just think it's really cool that the last time those were together was that moment. I mean, it's it really brings you back to that moment. So. It really does. David himself, David Freeze, has the home run ball that's on loan to us right now. That's back in the, our special exhibit gallery right now. I didn't know that. And that's awesome. You're gonna I, have hold on. He's got got to go see it. Tom's gonna take a visit back through the exhibit gallery when we're done here. Um, it really hit me. We were doing a media day right when the season opened here, just before opening day, and we had the ball over in the stadium. And you talk about one of those moments that gives you chills, at least for us Cardinals fans. I know we have a Pittsburgh fan right here, but I call a little attention to you. But uh, all right, but we I had the ball in the stadium, and it really hit me. I thought, I think this is the first time since that night on 2011, because he was given the ball back immediately after the game I assume he took it home with him that I think this is the first time the ball's been out in the seating bowl since it landed in the batter's eye like whoa and to the point that the media were coming through and doing short little interviews they were doing the media are normally pretty professional and and that's their job and they were asking if they could take selfies with it and do so. I mean, like appropriately, they weren't touching it or whatever. But it was like this is a big deal. You know, well, this is pretty cool. But so, Brian, this is what you've just talked about is what museums do. That's a concept of a museum is telling stories through objects that were there then, and and there's a reason that you're thrilled by that or the, the sports writers are thrilled, or hopefully people come to the museum or have some sort of, oh, I can't believe this is actually Stan Musial's jersey. And um, it's that very human connection moment with an object and often putting it into context with a label or a storyline that's going through an exhibit that we rely on. If, if that doesn't get people interested, I, I can't believe I'm actually seeing this then the whole kind of house of cards of the museum falls apart. It's, 
it's about that kind of connection of the real thing that is that specialness which makes museums work and hopefully continues to work. Great point. So I'm going to ask you a loaded question here, and then we're going to open it up to um, our audience here. That has grown. Apparently we're saying the right things because it keeps getting larger. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's my sultry voice that's been resonating <laughs> apparently throughout it is. the, the apparently museum. Apparently it is. We're uh, piping it out to the streets out there, so we've gotten a larger crowd here. Um, so uh, the unfair question to the senior curator of the National Baseball Hall of Fame, you know a little bit about our collection here. You know a little bit about uh, – you know a lot about your collection there. But um, so we're focused on the Cardinals and you're a Cardinals fan. You live in Cooperstown, New York. Are there any items that we have here where you think, man, I just wish that I got to take care of that and keep it up in Cooperstown, New York? We don't have enough time today. (laughs) This is a so first of all, this is a fantastic museum. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Cardinal fan or there's whatever it is, 20, 25,000 people in the stands here. Um, But. It's a really great museum. When did when did the museum first open? When, I mean, it's a long time ago. I mean, nine, not, not nine, right here. 1968. 1968. So we, Were any other major league teams have had a museum at that time? Supposedly the Reds. The Reds did. Reds Museum, by the way, is a great museum, too. It is. That's a fantastic museum. Take a road but trip. It's been a, I mean, it's changed a lot over the years, and, uh, and it's fantastic now. But this is a great museum, and I'm so glad that um, it's a professional museum. It's done really, really well. I never have a problem when some when when there's an object that I would that would be oh that would be so nice to have at the Hall of Fame and someone says well I'm going to keep it, I, or it's going to go to this other institution or whatever as long as it's well cared for and personally I'm a little bit I hope it's shared to the public sometimes you you keep it to yourself and okay but as long as it's well cared for then I'm happy um, because I want it to last as long as it can last the problem is for most individuals they can't care for it very well and then objects kind of die and they lose they fall apart or whatever but so I'm I'm so glad there's great objects here and that they're being well cared for um, there are some that are really well that bo- that ball's pretty good <laughs> the ball you were talking about that's a, the David Freeze Homer ball but at least we have an well, artifact that, that's on loan from David so that's oh, not okay. ours but okay well give me his address and I'll talk to okay. him okay alright um, uh, but actually the jersey you know the half jersey and we have the bat as well mm-hmm. um that's which is like really great that we have both items, but they, um, you know, there's no reason to hoard this. You know, this uh, one thing that I tell people about about uh, the baseball Hall of Fame, and, and it's true with the Cardinals Hall of Fame as well, uh, that from a museum standpoint, is baseball is a very great sport to tell stories through with uh, um, with objects because there's lots of objects you can tell a story through. So if someone hits a very important home run, like David Freeze. Maybe a jersey can go to a museum, or as it turns out, half a jersey to one museum, half a jersey to another. That's rare. And a bat can go, maybe David wants to keep the, the, uh, his shoes. Or maybe he'd like to keep his helmet and have that go to his charity and, and auction that off and make some money for somebody, which is nice. Or maybe he wants to give um, his pants to his mom, who is a great person or whatever. And you, all of those objects, you can connect to this great moment in Cardinal history, and I'll argue, argue baseball history. I mean, I think that was a beyond a Cardinal moment. The, it was a crazy, incredible game. But it's really nice that you can spread the wealth around that way because other sports don't allow that. It's getting really good right now. The story is just about to get great, believe me. <laughs> and that is, so I tell people, you know what, thank goodness I don't work at a sumo wrestling Hall of Fame because there's sort of only one thing to collect there, and I'm not sure I would even want to collect that. 
right? <laughs> so baseball really lends itself to sharing objects, and everybody sort of comes. It's a win-win, win-win, win-win. I have never been to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, but boy, do I sure hope to get there someday very soon. I've heard it is a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. We appreciate hearing Tom's memories of growing up here in St. Louis and watching games, and then also what he's doing for the Hall in Cooperstown. I want to get there. I also would love for you to get down here and join us for a Cardinals game. You could come on down on Saturday, July 17th. Cardinals taking on the San Francisco Giants, 30,000 fans, 16 and older, taking home a white Paul Goldschmidt jersey, courtesy of Wells Fargo Advisors. Get your tickets. They're still available at cardinals.com slash promotions. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This was a bonus episode, but we are releasing at least one regularly scheduled episode on the final weekday of each month during the 2021 baseball season. Our next one drops on Wednesday, June the 30th. It's a conversation with Tom and Matt Pagnazzi. If you don't know, they are uncle and nephew, and they both caught for the St. Louis Cardinals about a decade apart. Really, really neat to hear their family story. I think that you'll enjoy it, so be sure to check it out again. That comes at you on Wednesday, June the 30th. Also, be sure to subscribe. You don't want to miss any of our episodes. Plus, positive ratings, reviews, well, they really do go a long way toward helping us to make this show both visible and the overall product that you want it to be. So if you like what we do, please do drop some kind words and a couple of stars in whatever uh, podcast medium you choose to consume podcast in. That's it for this episode. For Tom Schieber, Brian Finch, I'm Brett McMillan. We'll catch you next time on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.